0: So let me tell you a quick story uh in 1990 a buddy of mine and i went on our last spring break we had 100 bucks a piece i drove and we had friends that were scattered all over florida so we went from friend to friend to friend and crashed where we could slept in the car one night but we did stop at ponce de leon park in uh, florida okay and that's where the fountain of youth is and so we did we did drink from the fountain of youth and so i think I think that's my secret is that uh, I have somehow taken advantage of the the magical waters of, of Ponce de Leon Park, and it has prevented me from getting gray hair.
1: You might be onto something because my dad and my mother, and actually my daughter, all went to that very same park. Oh, there you go. And I don't know if they drank the water, but my dad well, is aging backwards. Like your daughter,
0: your daughter looks very young.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> well I'm, I'm talking about my, my 22-year-old. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I've seen yeah, a little one all the time. year old yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, brother. What can I do for you, young man?
1: Well, I mean, I think I've just been thinking a lot about, you know, what you said, like this concentric strategy that I'm kind of locked into at all times and how that's yeah. probably affecting my sleep and my ability to relax and stress as a whole. And now, now that I've got hips, like, I'm loving training. Like, I'm loving it. Um, I'm deadlifting, you know, once a week. I, I know, I know, I know. I, I've, I'm ready to kind of bail on bilateral squatting. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel good. I'm constantly shifting into my hip no matter what I do, and I, I just, just doesn't feel good. Now, split yeah. squat variations feel good. Yeah. Uh, and deadlifting actually feels good. Now, today it was like seven sets of 10 with a 100-pound kettlebell. So I you know I'm not I'm not tied into loading heavy. I would right. like to have the capacity to do that every right. now and then, right. but I'm I'm not married to that idea at all. So I, I just wanted to talk to you more about that and some things I can do <laughs> from a training standpoint sure. to kind of unwind some of this, but also like i'm still getting after it like that's that's an important thing for me to feel like i understand i understand
0: everybody wants to feel like they like they can train and kick their own ass every once in a while right yeah
1: for sure yeah
0: no and i get that i get that but but let's let's understand a few things about your history and some adaptations and then what your training will will do um so when we talk about concentric strategies that is one of the primary secondary consequences of training hard so so with higher intensities and higher levels of of effort against load. so so we're talking about you know the typical stuff that would be associated with trying to promote whatever gym strength is or whatever that means to you whatever hypertrophy um you're you're you know you're chasing all of those things uh, as an adaptation, require a higher level of, of compression to produce the forces required. So, so for me to get stronger, I have to create more internal pressures. Right? That, that's the only way. Right? Okay. And so when I say internal pressures, I'm not just talking about the pressures inside your chest or inside your abdomen. I'm talking about the pressures inside the muscle. So when we hypertrophy a muscle, we're actually jamming more stuff into the muscle, that takes up space, that stuff brings fluid with it. And so now I have this compartment that is bigger than it used to be, but it's got more stuff in it that allows me to squeeze harder. And then we we call that strength because it's allowing us to produce some measure of behavior in the gym. So I'm lifting more weight or my muscles get bigger, like I said, whatever the goal might be. And so that's a secondary consequence of, of training. And so we have to either accept that That for us, like you and I and other normal folk is that we're going to give up something in return for that. Now, are there strategies that we can do to maintain some of the things that we naturally give up as a byproduct of that type of training. Maybe Okay, because some of us are structurally designed that for us to accomplish those goals. We have to give up more than somebody else. So these are the, you know, there's that percentage at the one end of the normal curve that they, you know, they walk into the weight room, they take a deep breath and they put on muscle mass, you know, and, and there's guys that, that are able to maintain a lot more mobility than others at the same level of strength output and the same levels of hypertrophy. So we are not created equal. We have adaptive capabilities, but, but it's just like, it's not everybody that gets to go into the weight room gets to be the strongest and the biggest guy. So we have these genetic influences that determine, okay, what are you capable of in regards to your goals? And then is there something that you have to give up in return? So, so you and I are demonstrative of those people that to get really, really big and strong, we gave up some hip stuff. Yeah, for sure for sure. You know, and then the stubbornness or the, the psychological weakness that's associated with, with having the identity of having to be the biggest and strongest guy in the room at, at any cost, you know, bought us a new pair of hips,
1: you
0: know, and, and so we sort of have to accept that. Now, having said all of that, there are probably strategies that we can implement to reduce the secondary consequences. But again, we're, we're sort of playing with fire because you don't know what your genetic potential is and you don't know what adaptations are gonna be required for you to achieve a certain goal. Yeah. And so that's why uh, we need to be a little bit more strategic in our application where um, we, you and I might have like a specific hypertrophy goal or body composition goal or force output goal And then you have to monitor that over time and you say, okay, am I giving something up in return for this force production? Am I giving something up in return for this gain in muscle mass Mm -hmm. and then identify what that is. And now we say, okay, is there a strategy that I can implement that will help me maintain whatever this is and still accomplish my goal? And so I, I don't think we can, we, we can sort of categorize a little bit that gives us some guidance, but it ultimately becomes a personalized experiment of what happens. So we, and, and this is how I approach everything, whether I'm in the purple room working with a rehab patient or whether I'm out in the gym working with an athlete, um, we have to, to to take these things in small bites. And so we have to say, okay, so we're going to implement this strategy in an attempt to create whatever adaptation it might be. So you work with athletes all the time. And so you see this all the time. So you're working for speed or force production or whatever you're trying to make a change with, right? That enhances performance. But then you also have to monitor the other stuff because you wanted to stay healthy and effective. But ultimately, while, while um, we think we might know what's going to happen, we still work on a probabilistic um uh, strategy where we just don't really know what's going to happen. We have an intention and then we say, okay, did my prediction come true? Um, okay, great. So I accomplished the initial goal, but what was the secondary consequence? Did I give something up in return? So for instance, so I, I knock a 10th off of somebody's, um, 10 meter acceleration, right? But I lost 15 degrees of hip rotation. Okay, is that an okay thing? So if this guy is a straight-ahead athlete, not such a big deal because I expect something like that to make him faster in a straight line. But if it's a defensive back that has to lower his center of gravity, change direction, guess what? I just took away his ability to lower his center of gravity and change direction. Right. Okay. So so was that a was that a reasonable sacrifice? And so this is this comes down to like, okay, am I training this guy for a combine? you know, like the the dog and pony show of the combine, or am I training this guy to be successful as a field athlete? And so again, you just got to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. But again, for guys like you and I, where we've already compromised an element of health, it's like how much farther do we want to really go here? And then what are we using as our guide to determine, I probably need to alter my strategies, change my goal or my intent, and then again, continue to monitor. So, so the strategy doesn't change. It's always going to be evaluate, intervene, and then reevaluate and make sure that I'm on the correct path. And so, you know, if you're doing seven sets of 10 with your, with your kettlebell, okay, what's the byproduct of that? You know, what are you measuring to let you know that, okay, I can still do this because that feels good to me because I get to train, but did I just sacrifice something? And so so, so what you need to do is you need to come up with those key performance indicators that are going to be your measures of, of this is what I cannot give up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. given that I don't have a whole lot of IR and, you know, I'm still trying to recapture those things, I can see these strategies pushing me further away from capturing it. Right. Um, but it, and it's also hard because I don't have a PT on staff to help assess. I mean, one of my coaches is pretty competent and I think he can he can help in that area. But like, when would you recommend me doing that? Like how often? Because like, I don't want to not deadlift, but if I can say every four weeks I'm coming back or every two and a half weeks I'm coming back and I'm checking these measurables to kind of use as my guide, I feel confident I can create some type of strategy like that.
0: Right. I think, I think, I don't think you need to be thrown on the table Andy, to, to figure this stuff out. But what I do think you need are some, some sort of physical active measures that you can recognize Yep. That will allow you to identify um, where you are in the process, wow. right? So maybe it becomes um, a, a a simple, a, something as simple as a toe touch variation, mm-hmm. something as simple as a split stance variation, something as simple as your your squat pattern, yeah, right? And then you say, okay, because what am I giving up? Because I, I will offer you this: that if you drive your deadlift. Hard enough, you will give up your squat pattern. Mm-hmm. It, it's inevitable because they are in conflict with one another. Sure. And so, I'm, I'm not talking about a powerlifting squat pattern. I'm talking about a legitimate, like ischial tuberosity over heel, kind of a squat. Yeah,
1: it's
0: like because that is representative of a of a totally different end of the spectrum in regards to how we acquire movement. Yeah. So, your deadlift is a compressive pattern. Your squat is an expansive pattern, and so what you want is some measure of, of adaptability between those two extremes that provides you enough health where you go, I'm okay. I'm, I can accept this as, as my capabilities or do I need to skew in one direction or the other? So if your training skews you towards this, this highly compressive, uh, hingy type of training, you have to decide whether that's okay for me because the better you get at that, the more you're going to give up your, your squat pattern. And I would offer you this is, is that so when we're looking at, at a self measure or a gym measure that helps us identify whether we're giving up a broad spectrum of adaptability, that, that squat pattern is going to probably be a biggie because it represents your ability to expand where everything else compresses you. So when we talk about pressing, when we talk about heavy pulls, when we talk about deadlifts, all of those compressive strategies limit your ability to expand on the backside of your body where that deep squat represents your ability to re-expand that area. And so again, I I don't think you need to be thrown on the table at all, but I do think you need to be able to recognize this. When am I
1: giving something up? So here's my thing with that. Um, just, just where's my brain goes. With this is mm-hmm. everything feels so much better now <laughs> than it did a year ago. I know. I, I don't feel like I'm giving up anything because everything feels better. You right. know, so it's like even my squat pattern. You know, right. other than like any like I tried to safety bar squat and I was using like a ramp for that as well. And I just it just still doesn't feel good loading that way. Like right. kettlebell loading. You know, bear hug tempo type squats. <clears throat> that stuff feels good and with my heels elevated i can get into a deep position and expand and breathe and it feels amazing so like i don't know if i have enough perspective or context yet to evaluate things Because so before even before hip surgery i could touch my toes it's right. just now i can touch my toes and it feels like how a toe touch should feel right, <laughs> you know, right. So.
0: yeah and but but i i think this is from a process standpoint i think this becomes a simple thing is that okay so you establish a baseline wherever you are as a standard so maybe you maybe you put a video on yourself and then you go through some of your activities unloaded activities first and just establish okay what happens when i do that now what happens when i establish some load and then so you establish sort of a a visual representation of what you would consider acceptable, as if you were looking at a client objectively in the gym. Now, it's harder to be that way with yourself, and we always know this, but at least you've got a visual representation of that. And then you just monitor these things over time, because I would trust your eyes. I think you, you know your coaching experience is off the charts. I mean, you've been doing this your entire adult life. And, and so you have a representation of what is acceptable to you and what is not acceptable to you, but you might have to ask yourself the hard question every once in a while. It's like, okay, does that really look as good as I want? Or am I just being biased? So I get to keep doing stuff. Yeah. Right. That's the hard part with yourself is those are really hard questions and, and virtually impossible to be objective. But, but like I said, I trust your coaching eye that and, and your maturity that you would go, okay, this is probably, it's really starting to change now. Or, or you have a perception as well. It's like, how hard was it for me to maintain that, right? Yeah. Because your your level of effort, your perceived exertion, to accomplish a deep squat, and then looking at how you're executing it. Now you got it. Like I said, I think you've got some measures of objectivity here that are they're very effective for you. But you monitor them at, like literally, like just you would for an athlete every couple of weeks. You know, you write a 12-week program for somebody, and you're not expecting to execute that program, you know, as it's written ever, right? You're monitoring every week or two, and you go, oh, we need to make a change here. We make a week here. And you have to do the same thing with yourself. And so you say, okay, so I'm going to establish this volume of activity. I'm going to select these exercises. And then these three things are the things that I, that I think are most important for me to monitor in regards to my adaptability and you know you'll figure out what those are i don't think there's, there's anything magical about it but i would offer you that if 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 uh, if your love of a deadlift is um, you know in the mix of things as far as your exercise selection then you have to use something that is in direct competition to that as your kpi and i think you're you know you're like maybe you keep the heels elevated squat thing or you, or you do your your toe touch but i would video it from several angles and say, okay, where am I in this, in this squat? So just, you know, getting your hips below parallel, um, may not be representative of, of, what you're wanting in regards to maintaining some measure of better variability, gotcha. you know, and then let me offer you this. So you're 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 a, you've always been this hypertrophy dude, right? Ever since I've known you, so you carry around a lot of muscle mass to begin with. So right away, you know you've got a strong concentric strategy. Um, that's a byproduct of that. And so one of the ways that you're going to need to capture eccentric orientation. So eccentric orientation is what allows you to move. Concentric orientation will take away your movement but allow force production, right? Okay. Is that you might de- need to t- integrate some loaded eccentric orientation activity. So like bringing back some old school bodybuilding stuff like a dumbbell fly and not with the intent of increasing load, but making sure that you can move through an excursion and then breathe through it allows you to recapture eccentric orientation. So simple things like getting yourself into a split squat position and doing that that low iso hold. Yep. You know, like I said, the end awesome. of a say again.
1: I'm doing a lot of those. I'm doing a yeah. lot of split squat ISO holds and even yeah, so. position push up holds. So I'm doing a lot of those right, things.
0: right. But 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 then but again looking at this from from uh the 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 lengthening perspective, so so making sure you're hitting some of those end ranges. So again, like you, you think about like the, the anterior compression associated with having, you know, big strong pecs is like, okay, let's take those to length and make sure that that as i'm holding this position i can breathe through that position and that assures that i've got a skeleton that will move underneath underneath that muscle tension and and you'll be surprised so you know old school pullovers yeah but without the compressive strategy on the backside. so you don't want to maintain the arch right so maybe you do those inverted so you do them on a decline right so you're so you're yeah so you invert the airflow And so that keeps the upper part of the chest expanded as you're doing it. And and so things like that come in really, really handy. But but like I said, the split stance stuff, the flies, the pullovers, anything that expands those areas that get compressed over time is a wonderful thing. Like you take your inverted row and just do a hang in the the stretch position. And just hang out there and just allow that stuff to re-expand, right? Um, After you've compressed it
1: one of the guys that went to your intensive, uh, Kevin Steen, when he came uh-huh. back, he had me playing around in that inverted row. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 Breathing in that position, which yeah. is, was really valuable. Um, yeah. And I've been playing around with a lot of like just hanging, like just bar hangs. Yeah. Like old school, like I, what was called like ISO extremes, like one minute to five minute holds uh, in right. different positions and trying to focus on just relaxing and stretching into that position right that stuff feels really good and i seem to be able to get a lot of input in with that throughout the day as opposed to just doing it in my session i'm trying to mix it in throughout my day and the more i'm doing that the the better my body feels for sure you know absolutely i i i I, I love it i love
0: that as a strategy i think it's i and again for for bigger stronger more hypertrophy guys you need some element of, of of load to allow the expansion to occur because because simply trying to push from the inside out with with a, a, like a, a breath-related expansion is insufficient to overcome the concentric strategies. Yeah. So we need we need load to 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 expand. We we can't just count on that because like again, when you've when you've driven 25 years of concentric strategy in an attempt to get bigger, stronger, and faster, it's like. The, the, the kinder, gentler, expansive stuff has its limitations. Yeah. So we have to start looking at this as we would any other athlete. It's like, how do I accomplish these positions that I might need to maintain the, the, the expansive capabilities, the adaptive capabilities, because it's all compression, compression, compression. When we're talking about force production and hypertrophy.
1: Yeah. So I love that. And I, and I remember us I having a conversation before about like hypertrophy in my lower body is important to me. Right. Um, Listen, I, I could never gain an, any more muscle in my upper body, and I think I'd be okay. Like, when I'm mm-hmm. lean, I feel I, I, I like the way I look. Maybe a little more trap, a little more neck. I could always use a little more of that yoke, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest. But everything else, I'm cool. Um, but you, you mentioned one point, I believe, about, like, old-school single-joint, like, bodybuilding-type activities. And, like, I'm so biased towards these big compound movements. The only reason I'm doing them outside – understanding that they're fundamental patterns of movement is because I want to grow. I want hamstrings. I want more glutes. I want more quads. Right. So I, I might need to consider like a secondary workout at another gym with some of these, uh, single joint leg extension type exercises and curls that like, I really had like, I haven't touched in 15 years. You know, it's like yeah. just very scared of those activities in a very unrational way. Uh, yeah. you know, so that might be a return to that type of style yeah. of training. You you think that has any value?
0: The muscles don't know how you get the stuff in there. They're just <laughs> responding. They're just responding to the to the stimulus, right? Now, the thing the things that you always have to consider is like, okay, what are the secondary consequences? Right? There's there's certain elements of of compressive strategy that are associated with with some of those activities. And so if I, if I skew too far in one direction, I am placing focal loads in, in certain places because I don't have to use the same uh, control elements if I'm sitting down on something. Sure. But from a hypertrophy standpoint, it's very, very rational to do those things because again, the, all the muscle is doing is responding to the stimulus. If you're doing a knee extension, a seated knee extension, or you're doing a front squat, it's like the quads don't know where the the stimulus is coming from, right? They're just responding to what you're what you're forcing this muscle to do, and it says, "Hey, uh, quit killing me! I'm going to make myself more resilient and and uh, uh, more adaptable, right? Or if we borrow from Uncle Nassim, it's like we make ourselves more anti right? We so that, so now hypertrophy. So so hypertrophy doesn't care. Yeah, but again, just understand what the secondary consequences are. It's like maybe I'm putting some focal load and some stress in some places. So maybe you know if I'm predisposed to to being sensitive with knee loads, then I got to be careful with some of that stuff. But but if, as a supplement, you know, it's like how, if you do one set of knee extensions, is your body going to explode? Is your knee going to be destroyed? Probably not. Right. But if I do it for thirty years, then maybe there's some maybe there's some stress related load there. That I, that I need to to monitor, but again, it's just a monitoring process. It's like, what am I giving up in return? And and, and I don't think there's so many rights and wrongs as there are what is. Is and yeah. then, but but what people don't do is they don't have a, a, a performance measure other than putting more weight on the bar or other than getting the tape measure out and 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 it measuring limb circumference or body composition or whatever. Um, when we're talking about adaptability and, and movement-based health, we do give stuff up. But I'll, I'll offer you this. I mean, we get, we get shoulder motion and neck motion back from people doing curls. You just got to know what you're doing when you're doing the curls, right? It's not this blind execution of overload. It's about execution with position and control. And then it, it, and it's remarkable to, to see these things. And so, again, people still get to train. They get to train very, very hard. But we also establish constraints as to how they execute to make sure that we're actually reinforcing what we want as a secondary consequence versus allowing a negative secondary consequence to occur.
1: Yeah. yeah, That's awesome. I mean, I think the good thing is that um, I feel better than ever and i and i made, So that
0: so i love that you know and, and i love to see you smile because i know how frustrating this was for you
1: incredible right? and i mean it's just but
0: but, but you don't want to let that you know run unchained
1: right which it, which it very could with my Well personal, yeah you know that, that's why everything conversation
0: yeah, everything seems all fine and wonderful until it doesn't seem all fine and wonderful, right? right. And, but, and and you and if you don't pay attention, you don't see it coming because all you're seeing is the good stuff and you're not monitoring for the things that, that you've taken away. And, and, and let me offer you this, the fact that, that you and I can speak the same language because we're, we're, we're part robot, you know, um, is that we didn't see it coming until it came. Right, 100%. And it will happen again. Because we're the same. You, your, your identity is no different from what it was before, but the the thing that you have on your side now is is you are much more rational in regards to what the possibilities are from a negative consequence standpoint. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful, but that's cause that's this conversation that this is, this is you and I, and, and, and I'm listening to myself as I say this too, because I run into the same problem. It's like, Oh, you know, I'm taking a risk here. It's a calculated risk. Um, and so I'm going to limit my exposure because there's certain things that I want to be able to do too, you know, and, and I, I try to maintain those the best that I can, but I also try to be a, a little bit more rational in regards to um, how much I am applying from a load standpoint or a or speed standpoint, because you just have to. You just have to now because you have a hip there that, that doesn't adapt and the stuff around the hip that is securing it does adapt. And you can have negative adaptations to the structure that's holding the implant in place And then that's what causes the changes in the hip over time that result in the requirement of having to have that stuff redone. And that's what you don't want to do. That's right. Because you and I are, you and I got this stuff young because of our our ability to, to out train our abilities, our our body's ability to repair itself. And so, um, you know, we don't want to do that again.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny you you brought up identity because I feel like I am having an identity shift or maybe it's that identity is the same, but I'm not tied to the behaviors that made me feel secure in that identity. Does well, that's, that why
0: you, that's why you have gray in your beard, dude. That's, that's exactly that's right. Called, it's called maturity, right? It, we grew like up a little I've bit. It.
1: I've earned it. And it's like, yeah. I don't need to have a three times my body weight deadlift anymore. I don't need, mm. like I'm not tied to that. And the idea of health and wellness matters to me more than being jacked and tan. You know what I mean? So I want right. to look good. I want to feel good. But I'm, I'm, I'm aware there's other ways to do that as opposed to the old strategies that I relied on. And, um, you know, I just I want to just keep going down this rabbit hole, you know, more and more and figuring out a way to train that makes me feel good and look good without compromising myself any more than I already have. Like right. I, for me, it's like the way I feel now compared to how I felt last year. I feel like I just started my business again. I feel like I feel like I'm 20 mentally, physically, emotionally. It's so it's really exciting. So the last thing I ever want to do is start trending back in the other direction. But right. I I am one of these dudes. Who like I like to push, you know, and everything. And uh, right. I've got to keep that in check.
0: Right. It, it, exactly. I think I think that's the key. The, the the last phrase that I think is the key is you keep it in check. Yeah. Whereas before we could let the ego take over, sure. and say put five more pounds on the bar. Without the concern of consequence because we didn't feel anything.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And, and you, you also have a hip that doesn't feel anything right now.
1: Right? Yeah. right. And so we
0: don't, we don't get the normal signals. So we have to rely on this, this level of maturity and rationality to to monitor those things that, that, that we can appreciate. So, so it, to, to wrap this concept up, then here here's what I would suggest is, is, we, you you and i we, and we can do this again if we need to to come up with a strategy and say let's use these three things as your as your kpis to monitor over time um you implement whatever it is that that you feel comfortable implementing from from a, a, an exercise standpoint if you need somebody to help you you got you got kevin to to kind of help monitor things if you need that um he's very very trustworthy and a great human yeah. Um and, and so whatever it is, but 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 I think that that the harder you want to push yourself, the more you need to be better at monitoring. You cannot let it slide. Yeah. Because the minute you do that, it'll sneak up on you. And now we're gonna have the conversation of okay, what doc do I need to see this time? And and, and that's the conversation I don't want to have with you.
1: Me the boss. Right.
0: So so let's let's just kind of use that as our as our go-to. For you. now. Is that cool? Yeah, man. That sounds great. So so if if you want to, um, and again, I'm willing to help anyway any way, any way that, that I can. If you want to, you just write something out if you want, or you just monitor for the next few weeks, and then we can have another conversation later and say, Okay, how are you doing? What are you doing from a strategy standpoint? What are your KPIs? Have those changed over time and then move forward in that respect. That sounds perfect. That sounds perfect. Cool with that? Yeah, man. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Is there anything else for you, my brother?
1: No, I just appreciate you taking the time to do it. I didn't know if you were going to have time today because it was like, I'll see what I can do. So I was kind of on standby and, but I, but I'm glad you made time and I, and I appreciate
0: it. Always make time for you, man. Thanks, man. All right. Um,